the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Ann Sari, your host for this episode. Rising up to life's challenges is hard work, especially in today's world with so much stress, chaos, and fear, all of which can pull us down if we let it. We don't have to let outer circumstances or others dictate how we feel and act or define who we are. Now, more than ever, is the time to awaken our own inner power, dig deep, and rise up to our best self, our loving, heart-centered, higher self. That's what Hearts Rise Up podcast is all about. When we tap into our own inner power, we elevate ourselves, our life, and the world around us. It's that simple. So let's get right into today's episode. On today's episode of Hearts Rise Up, we're going to interview Larry Sims. Larry was born in Jackson, Mississippi as a post-war baby boomer and into a Christian household via Southern Baptist Orthodoxy. Bullied through his early years, he finally found refuge when discovering music. After receiving an undergrad and graduate degrees in music education, Larry taught for 30 years as a high school band and orchestra director. He retired from teaching and then worked in the retail trade for a decade before fully retiring. And now he's here to join us on Hearts Rise Up. Welcome, Larry. Thank you. Are you ready to rise up to your best self today to inspire our listeners? That is my intention. (laughs) Well, we're glad about that. Can you share a personal mantra or a favorite quote and what it means to you and maybe how it's applied, how you've applied it to your life? Yeah, the uh, there's an old Cherokee uh, legend that says that the grandfather turns to his grandson and says, my son, there's a battle between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, inferiority, lies, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, and truth. The boy thought about it for a bit and then says, Grandfather, which wolf wins? The old man quietly replied, the one you feed. That is so true. It's what you focus on. Mm -hmm. Has that come in handy throughout your life in different areas? Yeah, it it has. Um, As a, you know, as a jumping off point in my bio, you know, I grew up being taught Christianity. Uh, There were so many questions I had. There was a lot of confusion. I asked what I thought was good were good questions, got pretty inadequate answers, and first thought it was well, it's just me. I'm just a kid. What do I know? So I would try harder, study more, ask more questions. But as time went on, I never got satisfying answers. Uh, at the same time, all this happening, I'm being bullied at school. I started school a year earlier. It was a little small for my age. And um, so I'm, and I'm a sensitive sort. And so I'm dealing with that because I didn't do anything to these people, and yet they're doing these things to me. Mm-hmm. And at some point, those things, plus, I, I guess I should also say, I'm growing up in the Jim Crow South, and I'm seeing a lot of stuff. Uh, about race and and those types of things and seeing you know how that conflicted with what I was being taught and all of that led me to a great deal of confusion and then later it turned to anger and Mm -hmm. I stayed angry for (laughs) several decades it wasn't until my early 50s that I began to kind of dispel with that well how did you do that uh I guess it, it, I can remember thinking, and I think Wayne Dyer was the one that I picked this up from, is that the people who did these things that I you know, had 
heretofore interpreted as they did it to me, they were doing the best they could with their level mm-hmm. of consciousness. And that helped a lot with dispelling the anger. So I guess that would be uh, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And when did you come across Wayne Dyer? That particular thing would have been around my early 50s. Uh, I don't remember exactly the source of it, but that's about the time I began to read a lot of metaphysical books and things about spirituality and consciousness Mm -hmm. and those types of things. So somewhere in there I came across that. Yeah, I think the lesson there is that we may have lived with decades of anger and stress, but it's never too late to rise up, to elevate ourselves, to raise our consciousness and and learn how to deal with that and diffuse those things and then be a lesson to others. Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body and almost everybody has a pain body. It's just whether or not you continue to allow it to affect your your present day situation. Well, I'm, I'm impressed with that story and I wonder what role did music play in your turnaround? I guess at the source of uh, the frustration is you're wanting to please your parents, you know, you're wanting to please these, maybe if I act differently with the bullies and that kind of stuff, they'll leave me alone. And I have always struggled with, you know, wanting to, how do I meet my needs and wants and goals mm-hmm. and please other people at the same time? And so that was all a part of that struggle. But when I got, when I found my musical abilities, I was able to do something that internalized for me my own sense of worth i did not have to seek an outside Mm -hmm. source so i guess that's that uh, allowed me the freedom to kind of move on but as i said there was still a lot of resentment there uh, but my studies of music allowed me kind of move forward Mm -hmm. a little bit well it's a it's a wonderful thing i guess that's why they call it the muse too correct but you turned it into something that a lot of people who are young and love music figure they can't get it a job with music or a career but you pursued that you persevered and i and i decided it pretty early i remember in the uh, when i was in the eighth grade the junior high band director had auditions for student conductor mm-hmm. and i tried out for it and we got just a little bit of time on the podium and conducting you know just real rudimentary stuff and I really enjoyed that, and I pretty much decided at that point that I wanted to be uh, a band director. Mm-hmm. So it was the seed was planted pretty early, and it stayed constant. There was a little time in high school where I kicked around being a, a marine biologist until I found out they didn't scuba dive all that much. They mainly <laughs> stayed in the lab, and I said, I don't want to do that. So. Yeah, the ocean calls, but yes. you wanted to be in it. Yes, so one of the things that about being a direct a conductor and a band director is you're not just playing with your own music and your love of music, but you're bringing a cohesiveness to a bunch of people's talents. Correct. What's that feel like? Well, I've, I've kept a lot of the letters and cards I've gotten from former students in the past, and one thing that's a constant is in their description of their time uh, under my tutelage was they really connected with my passion. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's just who I am and the way I've expressed myself. And I, hopefully others were the, you know, beneficiaries of that. Um, 
And there are unique skills in doing running any kind of ensemble, and it doesn't matter if it's band, orchestra, chorus, or anything that's trying to achieve uh, a group uh, a goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other side of that is band directing uh, is is very much centered on critical analysis, judgment, both objective and subjective. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to hear that's wrong, that's in tune, that's out of tune, that sounds mm-hmm. good, that sounds bad. So I'm doing something I really, really enjoy, but at the same time, unbeknownst to me, I'm acquiring the skill mm-hmm. of labeling everything and judging everything. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, how do my judgments compare to this guy <laughs> over here that's doing the same thing mm-hmm. I'm doing? And I realized right after our tired is as long as you're in it, it's really hard to recognize mm-hmm. that. But when I retired and I began to get more reflective, reflective, and and as I stated earlier, you begin to read things, and uh, uh, it occurred to me that 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 was a person that needed those skills to do those things, but it didn't have to be who I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that. Um, I began to kind of reassess that. Uh, the difficulty was is that when you've been doing it for 30 years, it's real hard not to do it anymore. Yeah, hard to turn uh, it off. It is. Uh, it was easier when I was by myself, but if I met up with a couple of other guys, guys that were still band directing, mm-hmm. we were meeting for coffee or something, and they would start talking, I was right back in that place. Mm-hmm. Because that's the way my brain was wired. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've had to work at rewiring my brain, in yeah. a sense. Yeah. Thank goodness for neuroplasticity. Right? Absolutely. That we can do that. And that'll be important in one of the books I recommend. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm looking forward to hearing that. So one of the other questions I had about the being in the, the music zone, like you just mentioned one of the detriments of being the conductor is that you're analyzing and also evaluating but how about when you're playing your music for yourself? How does that elevate you? Uh, everything around you disappears. It's mm-hmm. very zen-like, um, quote, in the zone. Um, and there are, if you're lucky, you have moments where it transcends the technical demands of the moment, what you're playing, you know, whether or not you're playing fast, slow, loud, soft, you know, uh, you begin connected to this thing that's happening and uh, it's exponential. Other people are having the same moment Mm -hmm. and it builds on itself. And so you can have some truly inspired uh, moments of music making in those situations. It's rare, uh, but it does happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like when and you, it's rare because it's hard. <laughs> it takes talent. It takes uh, talent and work, hard work. Right? It does. And a friend of mine was said something one time, another band director, he said, when you're really struggling to play your part, the technical bands or such, he said, he said you become very egocentric. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, it's, it manifests itself where you're super players get closer to the music because they're concentrating so hard and they're thinking about it. At those moments, it's impossible to listen across the organ, the mm-hmm. ensemble, match, uh, match pitch, 
you know, blend mm-hmm. with other instruments because you're just so egocentric. Mm-hmm. When you can transcend those technical demands, that's when you begin to have these more wow. inspired moments. Wow. I never thought of that. So the next time I hear a symphony, I'll be thinking that way, how, how hard it is for them all to focus and be in the same place. Well, at that point, that the level of expertise is so high, mm-hmm. they have no concerns about oh. that. You know, So they are able to really, truly listen to everything that's going around them. Yeah, and then it, the whole audience is transcending. Absolutely. It's, it's an amazing moment. Yep. Well, is there any other, you mentioned several challenges, was there any other challenges or times in your life where you encountered something that you just doubted yourself or were conflicted and how you overcame that? I, I, I have two or three that I'll recount real quickly. Um, my last year of teaching in the fall, we had a, a, a class first thing in the morning and, and in Gwinnett County High School, first period starts like at 7, 10. <laughs> and it was all ninth graders and we were on the block schedule so we had them for 90 minutes. Um, and um, uh, these kids were so far behind where their development should be. And I thought, okay, well, I'll try something else. And I would lower my standards and make things easier for them. And it just seemed like nothing was working. And I was very frustrated. And mm-hmm. I, I called my dad and I said, I don't know if I can make it to the end of the year. This is so difficult. And he encouraged me to stay with it, you know, and this kind of stuff. And I remember hanging up the phone saying to myself, Sam's, why don't you just quit complaining about it and teach them what they don't know? Hmm. So I had to go through a, about a month of struggle yeah. with accepting the way it was, not the way I wanted it to be. And consequently, I did some of my best teaching ever. Wow. So that's that's one where I, I learned to quit resisting mm-hmm. and just deal with what was. Um, I used to have pretty bad road rage. I don't mean to the point where I was ramming people or running people off the road, but I just get angry. And I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone one time when I was having it, and and, and I I think I said something about, you know, I really don't like being this way. And she said, well, the way you can stop that is just raise your awareness level. And so I didn't really understand how that would work into it, uh, but sure enough, I got angry one day, and about a minute later, I thought, you did it again. And then the next time it happened, it was only maybe 30 seconds later. Mm -hmm. Your awareness was there. And then the next time it was 10 seconds, and finally I was able to preempt it. So that was proof to me of how raising your Mm -hmm. awareness can affect things. Mm. And um, the other one is, you know, as I begin to read books and meditate, start meditation, I felt like I was in a really good place, but it's illusory, uh, illusory when you are by yourself. Uh, you you begin to discover the chinks in the armor when you get in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Marion Williamson says, I think in a Return to Love, says that relationships' purpose is to help us discover our woundedness, mm-hmm. which I think is really good. Mm-hmm. And as I've started in a relationship four or five years ago, I had been by myself, single for a good while, and thought, hey, I'm in a really good place. But when I got in the relationship, it was a real struggle. and But it's also off, uh, afforded me some great opportunities. Mm-hmm. Opportunities to grow and yep. become more whole. And Correct. 
Beautiful. So those are some wonderful lessons learned. And now how about a few, all of those had an aha moment, but have you had any other aha moments that you've had recently? Uh, the one that springs to mind is one that was last spring, I believe it was, um, where I live, there's a small lake. It's a small lake or a big pond, <laughs> but <laughs> I was, I like to go there and meditate. And I was one, it was one spring day, it was kind of warm and the bench I was sitting in was about 10 yards off the shoreline. I looked down and there was a fish, about a, a pretty big fish, uh, in the shallows and just sitting there, tail moving slowly. And I was just observing. And that's what I like about being in nature is, is mm-hmm. just observing. And at some point, the fish began to stir up silt. Uh, and I thought, I wonder why that fish is doing that. Maybe it's stirring up food and it hit me that that's what we do as humans is we go from observation to getting in our head Mm -hmm. and intellectualizing something Mm -hmm. and analyzing something instead of just observing it. And that's what gets us in trouble. Yes, absolutely. And we do it so seamlessly. Mm -hmm. That was the other thing. And I realized that's what we as humans do pretty much our entire waking hours, Mm -hmm. unless we're just really raise our awareness. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way to do both and stay in the moment, stay in the moment, but still be able to intellectualize. It must take a lot of discipline. I'm sure it does. Do that. Um, so where are you today? What are some things that are exciting you right now in your journey? I'm improving my ability to see things as they really are. That's gotten much better over time. So I would say that would be the biggest thing. And you apply it to anything in particular? Maybe I know you work out and you still play music. Um, you know, there's days, and Carol knows about this too, as you go to the gym and you have certain goals and sometimes your body says, nope, not, <laughs> not going to do it today. Uh-huh. And you have to accept that that's the way it is. It will change and you, you do what you can that day and then you come back the next time and, and progress from there. That is wisdom. Definitely, instead of hurting yourself. Or, or beating yourself up. Yeah. And you know, you know, I have to rely, remind myself occasionally in those situations that nothing moves in a straight line. Mm. You know, Tell me more I, about that. Well, I, when I first met Dr. Harefield we, and talked to, to him that I mentioned earlier before we started, um, I felt like I was making some really improvements. And then there was a several months where nothing I felt like was going on and I called and talked to him. He said, the universe will only provide you what you can absorb. Hmm. And you have to allow that process to take place before something else can move Mm -hmm. on. And so same thing in the gym. You know, you have to accept it as it is and that there will be at some point some other Mm -hmm. growth. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. That's a, that's good insight because I know there's been times when I'm trying to learn something and I keep asking the teacher for more mm-hmm. and they say, not yet. You're mm-hmm. not quite ready. Just keep working on what you've been doing and perfect that or master that. First. Right. So, great. Okay. Thank you. And so what about your future state? What do you see on the horizon that will elevate you even more beyond meditation and working out in music? One of the things that I... Uh, want to see and am somewhat successful 
but just not consistently is working on staying in a, a state of raised awareness for longer stretches of time. It's pretty easy for me to meditate and get where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Then you get your keys in the car and you get and you go on down the road and you start doing errands and you get out of that state. And I want to be able to stay in that state for longer stretches and not just within the confines of, of meditation. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I, I hope to uh, continue to, to that, grow in. That state of observation? Yes. So not... And, and I, it's weird. It, on occasion, I will have awareness. Uh-huh. I'm driving, and there's traffic, and I'm thinking about how much traffic there is or the weather or where I've got to go and that kind of stuff. And if I start breathing and follow my breath, just like I do in meditation, uh-huh. I go mm-hmm. right back there. Excellent. So, so that's a training. We're training our body. Our, mm-hmm. It's a physiological yes. thing. That's beautiful. So what? Are, how did you come around to meditation and what books or what techniques inspired you and made it easy? Because everybody does. There's so many different ways to meditate. What works for you? Well, it started when I started getting interested in um, spirituality and uh, related topics. I read lots of books. And boy, I had it down in my head, you know. And, but at some point, I realized the books were all pretty much saying the same thing, and that another book was not going to get me any closer to it. That at some point, I had to have a practice. Right. That's a good aha moment, right yes. there. Yes. So, I I started meditation. A friend of mine gave me. I think it was one of Deepak Chopra's earliest love meditation CDs. Mm-hmm. And I went through it, and one of the things that impressed me is I tried meditation in my 40s, and I got real frustrated because I couldn't stop from thinking, stop myself mm-hmm. from thinking, my mind going. But Chopra said in the narration, on one of the, it was either first day or second day, that you cannot not think, but what you can do is not react to what you're thinking, and that if you just observe your thoughts. They just kind of dissipate. And lo and behold, that worked. <laughs> you know, if you don't engage in it, mm-hmm. you know, they just kind of uh, dissipate. So that was, I realized why I had not been successful in meditating a decade earlier, is that I thought I was going to achieve this state of right. no thought. Right. So uh, meditation came after I read books. And when I began to realize the, um, the effect it had on me, um, then it was obviously something I wanted to continue. Mm-hmm. So it's been practical for you. Yes, very practical. And now we're seeing it in more and more places. They're advising it in daycares and businesses right. and mindfulness. So I think it's a, a good sign. Absolutely. You know, and everybody has a different way of doing it. Right. But what you said for your technique related back to the story with the fish and engaging. Right. So just letting it pass right. through. And I've tried a lot of different meditations. I've done guided meditations. I've done breathing meditations. I've gotten mala beads. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done a whole bunch of stuff. But the one I keep coming back to is either breathing or observation. Go in nature, sit at that lake, right. and just observe. Yeah. And that works for me. Yeah. That's beautiful. I can relate. I'm a photographer, and nature does uh, that for me. It helps me. That's one excuse to do the other. Right. 
So what's what else is on your horizon? What would you like to achieve in all of the reading and the practice that you've done? What's your day-to-day goals? You said no more anger. So then. I think I've pretty much laid it out is that I want to stay in a state of raised awareness more often. Mm-hmm. I want to be observational. And I want to apply that to as many areas of my life as possible. Beautiful. So when would you share some more of the, the books that inspired you or, or if there's another, like the Deepak Chopra techniques? I have three books. That if someone asked me, what are some of the what are the top three books you've read in the last decade? One would be Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza, which mm, I just I love, love that title. <laughs> uh, it was Dispenza's second book. His first mm-hmm. book was pretty high on the neuroscience, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but this one is specific in that it talks about how to change your behavior specifically. And he says, you know, you hear the the, ter- the phrase, uh, you can't teach old dog new tricks. And he said, that's not true. He said, you can build new firing synapses to mm-hmm. the day you die, but there's a process by which you, you do it. Mm-hmm. And he says, basically, it's about rewiring your brain because the brain is lazy. The brain wants to fire down the same synapses it does, mm-hmm. you know, for the longest time. But he also makes the point that your behavior is driven by your emotions and your emotions are driven by your thoughts. And so to change your behavior, you've got to reverse engineer that Mm -hmm. in a sense. That's a good way to put it. You know, Um, but I also came away with, although I don't remember him specifically saying this, is that the individual must desire to change their behavior. If if that doesn't take place, none of the rest of it Mm -hmm. matters. Um. There's a book by Neil Donald Walsh, who's famous for the Conversations with God mm-hmm. books, called When Everything Changes, Change Everything. Um, I did not realize it, but the book lays out he was homeless for a while. And, you know, he talks about how that big change, you know, affected him and everything. So that's, that was a really good book. And then another one uh, called Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. It's, it's about kinesiology. Mm-hmm. But it's also about uh, the determinants of behavior and how that manifests itself in kinesiology. What are your thought processes mm-hmm. and how that might affect you know your physical structure and reacting to you know uh, resistance. And I found it a fascinating book. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic of resistance and we might have some podcasts on that. You might have to come back about that. I would be happy to. <laughs> I've heard several people talking about that book, actually, even in um, in uh, college courses that mm. are recommending that. Well, what else can you tell us that helps you feel grounded and centered? Uh, uh, being in nature is a big part of it. Um, uh, deep breathing, like I had alluded to before. Those are the things that that really do it for me. Do you do have any other practice like yoga or tai chi or anything like that? No, but uh, I do strength training, and that can be very ah, zen-like. Because uh, you're using the breathing. Well, not only that, but when you're about to squat 250 pounds, mm. 
there's a lot of focus going on. Yeah, I can't even imagine. <laughs> uh, so, um, but mainly the deep breathing and being in nature. And I've missed, you know, with all the wet weather we've had since fall, I've missed one of my favorite things to do at fall is to go sit at that lake and watch the leaves fall. I love mm-hmm. to watch the leaves fall and watch the variety of how they spin mm-hmm. to the ground. And yeah. that, I can, that occupies me for an hour. It slows time down. It does, absolutely. It really does. So are there people in your life, you've alluded to your dad and, and the advice he gave you, but are there people in your life that haven't liked the changes they've seen in you? Yes. I had a student when I was teaching that as an adult, we became, he became a band director and he asked me for help and we became friends as adults. And uh, not too long ago, less than six months ago, he, he started contact, stopped contacting me and I finally cornered him about it. And he said that he was real disappointed in me. He felt I had lost my mojo, as he put it. But, and it was very helpful, hurtful and confusing Mm-hmm. Because I thought we had the kind of adult relationship that I thought would kind of last forever. But I realized as he, you know, talked more about why he had broken off contact, I realized that one of the things that he really liked about me was when I was the band director, analytical, clinically oh, yeah. dissecting things, you know, and... He admired me for that, and that's the kind of band director he was. Now, he later got out of teaching and became a lawyer, which uses <laughs> a lot of the same skills. Yeah, analytical. Uh, and I think when I began to change in my 50s, he felt like the, the commonality we had shared was, was disintegrating. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, he's my friend, this is the journey he's on, this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So that that's the clearest example to me because it's most recent but it was also um uh the most telling i guess Mm -hmm. and one of the things you just said it's kind of like there are people who are seasons in our life so and it goes back to the philosophy of we have to accept where we are right now and you know people come into your life for a reason and they Mm -hmm. They don't always stay, mm-hmm. but whatever they where whatever time they are in your life, they're serving a purpose. Right. And as much as you may not want it to change, that's the way it is. Right. So no sense wasting time on regret. Right. Okay. So what is some of the best advice you've received from someone? You talked about your dad there too, but what's some recent advice you received? A lot of time when I am talking to Doctor Harefield and. I'm talking to him about something that's going on with me, and and I'll I'll make the mistake of saying I don't understand why this is happening or something that affects me. He says, "No, don't ask why. That gets you right back into your head." Mm. He mm-hmm. says, "Ask what is the opportunity for growth." So that is something I have become more and more aware of within myself, and I'm making some some strides in that. That's excellent. Yeah, I've, somebody recently said, take the words can't and should out of your vocabulary. Right. You know. Well, you know, Western civilization has, ever since the Enlightenment, Enlightenment has put a huge uh, emphasis on the analytical mind. And I'm not so sure it's always served us mm-hmm. well. You know, it has its purpose, yeah. but, you know. In times of struggle, maybe. Mm-hmm. But 
but not the day-to-day. Right. So what another thing I'd like to find out is in terms of letting our audience know if there's some tips or advice, just something, a nugget here or there, that you could give to our audience as they're listening now, what would you say to them about raising, rising up? Resist the urge to control others. Wow. Um, I kind of noticed um, 10 or 15 years ago that all the conflicts I could observe, whether they were interpersonal or group to group, state to state, country to country, all at their core had the desire of one group wanting to control the behavior of another group. Mm. And then I recalled uh, Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. Uh, in, uh, you know, Gulliver is washed ashore and tied down by the Lilliputians and he finally convinces them that they'll let him up. He'll help them, you know, with things. And so they let him up, and he clears vast swaths of land for agriculture. He dredges their harbor, and he's summoned to see the king, and the king is saying, you know, you're our new secret weapon. We're going to use you to help us defeat our arch enemies, the Blefuscuans. <laughs> and and uh, Gulliver asked the king, well, why are you at war with them? And he says, because they're barbarians. And he says, well, what makes them barbarians? And he says, because they open their eggs from the large end. And everybody knows you open your eggs from the small end. Now, keep in mind, this is the 17th century Uh (laughs) being written. So I really pretty much, if you're observant, Mm -hmm. that's the source of all conflict. Mm -hmm. So if you can resist the urge to try to control people uh, and and be aware when you are doing it, that's Mm -hmm. the other thing. Mm. you'll be a lot happier. That's a very good philosophy. We could all do. Okay, if you were to leave this earth today, what would you most want to be remembered for, Larry Sims? (laughs) That I ended up farther down my path than where I started and in the process discovered the real me. That's excellent. (laughs) That's excellent. Well, we're so happy the real you showed up today for our podcast. And we will leave you, audience, with these words of wisdom from Larry. And please join us again next time. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Hey there. Before you go, we hope today's show inspired you to awaken and unleash your own inner power to elevate yourself, your life, and the world. Please leave us a review on iTunes because those reviews are important to our show. And we'd love for you to subscribe to our show and share this episode with others on your favorite social media channels. Finally, are you rising up to your best self every day? Let us know more by reaching out to us at www.heartsriseup.com.